Welcome to Brit David Podcast as Pastor Tim brings us a Holy Week message entitled Pictures in the Passover from Exodus chapter 12 verses 1 through 11. Passover is such an important feast for Abraham's children. It celebrated their deliverance from Egypt. Paul said that Christ as believers is our Passover and that we too are to celebrate the feast with sincerity and truth. May you, Christian, be blessed as you see your faith come alive with these pictures in the Passover. Here's Pastor Tim. So good. Coming from that song we sang to Via Delarosa. That's good stuff. I even sounded like Sandy Patty in my head. <laughs> I got all the words right too in my own head. Take your Bible, turn with me if you will to Exodus chapter number 12. As we work our way alphabetically through each book in the Bible, you know, I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe that it's a coincidence that we're in Exodus tonight. And certainly not that we come to chapter 12 to talk about the Passover. Today is Palm Sunday. Passover begins a little bit later this week. And I'm just excited about us being here in this particular passage tonight. You may say, well, Tim, why do you, why do you care about the Jews' Passover? Well, if you're there in chapter number 12 already, if you look down at the end of verse number 11, it's not the Jews' Passover that I'm that concerned about. It says it's the Lord's Passover. In fact, you're going to see a passage in the New Testament where it says that we are to celebrate this Passover that is the Lord's. So let's do a little quick review just in case uh, there may be somebody who doesn't know exactly the story that's going on. So we need to go back at Israel's history just a little bit to the fact that they were under Egyptian bondage. They were slaves in the land of Egypt for 400 years. After a series of not obeying God and not listening to Him, not following after Him, God allowed them to go into bondage. But when they cried out to the Lord, God sent to them a deliverer named Moses. God gave Moses a very specific message to deliver to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Let my people go that they might celebrate a feast in the wilderness. Now, I don't know about you, as I read through that for the very first time, first of all, I think a feast in the wilderness? <laughs> what feast are they supposed to go celebrate? And who celebrates a feast in the wilderness? Well, they're about to find out what feast. They don't even know. Moses doesn't even know at this point what feast that they're headed out to celebrate. But they've got one that's going to last until the Lord comes back again. You see, the people there in Egypt were under that bondage and needed a deliverer. And so maybe you would expect, like those Jewish people did, that God would send them somebody like Moses and he would immediately rescue them. If you read through these opening chapters in Exodus, you find out that that's not exactly the way it went. Instead, there are a series of yeses and nos. There's a back and forth with a softening of Pharaoh's heart followed by a hardening of Pharaoh's heart. It almost seems as if you read through that passage that there's a cat and mouse game that's going on between Pharaoh and Moses. But boy, you really begin to look into those stories and you discover that the only one who's playing a game is God. 
And he's got like a laser pointer and he's showing the cat, Pharaoh, who looks like a fool as he passes from spot to spot like a cat does trying to follow a laser pointer. God has everything under control. It's not that God has failed to deliver his people with that simple message. It's not that God had failed with the first plague that he sent to Egypt. And still they were not uh, let go. Instead, God's going to use those ten plagues to bring destruction to the land of Egypt, but more importantly, to bring disrepute to what they called their gods. Each one of those plagues was a distinctive and definite jab at those that the Egyptians had called their gods. By the time we get to number ten, which is announced in, verse, in chapter number 11, he's picked now on the head, the leader, the greatest of their gods, Ammon. And, uh, and, and so this, this particular plague is, is against the one who says that he gives life to the nation of Egypt, that he is their source of power. So what God says in chapter number 11 is, I'm going to kill all the firstborn throughout the land of Egypt, man and beast. And it's one of those unique times where although Israel had been, the Hebrews had been spared from those plagues, they're going to suffer right along with them this time. And so God gives to them in chapter number 12 a merciful means of escape so that this judgment does not come to them, what would they need to do in order for this death angel that God's going to send throughout the land of Egypt to pass over their house before getting to the next one? It's exactly what we're going to look at tonight. And in fact, if you looked all the way down to verse number 14, you'll discover that this celebration is called a memorial a feast, an everlasting ordinance that God would continually remind His people that He is the Deliverer, that He can save at all times, and to show them that through some wonderful, incredible pictures. That's what we want to look at tonight. Pictures in the Passover Some of those things that we look at that are so symbolic that resonate even with our hearts today when we look back into Exodus chapter number 12. There are three of these pictures that I want to share with you tonight. The first one is this. I want you to see that the Lamb is a picture of our Lord. The Lamb is a picture of our Lord. The most important element in the Passover is the Lamb. Such careful attention is is given to this little animal throughout this chapter to make sure that it's just, just right. It makes me think of John the Baptist looking looking out to Jesus as he's in the Jordan River baptizing. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is that Lamb that the Passover pictures for us. 
And in chapter number 12, he declares, God declares what kind of lamb is appropriate to use in Passover. There are three important attributes that I need to share with you. The first one is this. It had to be a spotless lamb. It had to be a spotless lamb. Look, if you will, in verse number 5. Exodus chapter 12. And verse number 5 begins by saying, Your lamb shall be without blemish. It has to be spotless. It has to be perfect. No, no colored spots. No scars. No stripes. Nothing. Nothing missing. Nothing skipped. It has to be perfect. Bethlehem was... <laughs> Bethlehem was an old little town that uh, was about five miles south of Jerusalem. Bethlehem's primary source or their resource was lambs. They, they were there in Bethlehem to raise lambs specifically for use in sacrifices, both for the, the Day of Atonement that would come around and also for this Passover that's coming as well. Now, in the fields out there in Bethlehem is a two-story tower. The shepherds would use this tower. They used the top floor of the tower more as an observatory. So when we read that the shepherds are out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night, in all likelihood, they're on the top floor of this tower looking out over the field, keeping watch over those flocks. The ground floor, however, was used where they would bring pregnant lambs who are ready to deliver, or pregnant sheep that are ready to deliver their little lambs, and the temple shepherds would go into that ground floor of the, ta- of the tower and help them to deliver those particular lambs. Now, as they pull that lamb out and they looked at it, and he could tell this is going to be a potential candidate for the sacrifices that are coming. That temple shepherd would take that lamb, wrap him up in cloth, and place him in a manger so that he wouldn't get trampled, so that he wouldn't be marred in any way that he would maintain this unblemished state that he's in. I mean, no wonder the angel said to them, to those shepherds, You're going to find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. They're going, a baby? (laughs) That's what they do for the lambs at the sacrifice. Right. That's exactly right. This, he says, will be a sign for you. Well, Jesus is that spotless lamb. The book of Hebrews describes Jesus as being perfected forever. That same passage in Hebrews, listen to this verse. It's it's chapter 7, verse 26. He describes Jesus as being holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. It's only a sinless Savior that is capable and worthy to take our sins away. He's the only one that can offer us eternal salvation. So Peter so appropriately refers to him as a lamb without blemish and without spot. As time for Passover got, to, got a little bit nearer, 
on the tenth day of the month. By the way, look in verse number three and you'll find that. On the tenth day of the month, they would march those sheep all the way, those five miles from Bethlehem up to Jerusalem and lead those sheep through the sheep gate. When the sheep, those little lambs, got into the sheep gate, there were priests waiting for them. And those priests would examine those sheep. They had to make sure that these really are spotless, unblemished lambs. And then they were deemed worthy for the sacrifice. By the way, it's the same tenth day of the same month when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, his triumphal entry, entering Jerusalem just two gates down, not through the sheep gate, that's where the sheep go, comes in through the eastern gate. As soon as he gets through the gate, what's happening to him? He is being examined thoroughly. He's being examined by the crowd. He's being examined by the soldiers. He's being examined by the Sanhedrin. He's being examined by Pilate. He's being examined by Herod. Everybody is examining him. And although they're going to come up with some trumped-up charges, if they genuinely were honest about what they found, they would have to agree with what Pilate said. I find no fault in this man. He's faultless. He's stainless. He's blameless. He's unblemished. He is perfect. He is spotless. The Lamb of Passover is Jesus, the Lamb. The Lamb has to be a spotless Lamb. Number two, He has to be a substitutionary Lamb. A substitutionary Lamb. Look at verse number five that finishes, and, uh, and then you get on into verse number six. He says, Your Lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. And you're going to take him from the sheep or from the goats. Well, what difference does that make? Why does he have to be a male lamb? Because up to this point, God has been working through the men, through the males. It's Adam that God held accountable for eating that fruit. It's not until Adam ate were their eyes opened as to their condition. It's Abraham that God called to be the father of this nation. It's Moses that he chooses to be the deliverer. It's the male line that he's going to go through because that's important to these Jewish folks. But why a year old? For a couple of reasons. Number one, a year old lamb is mature enough as a lamb to be fully grown. He's fully grown, but he's not old enough to be ruined, we might say. He is right in his prime. A year represents a year of hard work, a year of great investment to make sure and keep this lamb unblemished for that entire year. There's another issue here. I called your attention to verse number 3 where he says, bring this lamb into your house on the 10th day. Do you see that? On the 10th day of the month. Look down to verse number 6. Nothing else is really said that they have to do with this lamb until you get to the 14th. Four days that this family is going to keep this lamb in their home. There's a couple of reasons for that. Number one is every day represents a century. A century of their bondage, reminding them that they've been in bondage to Egypt for 400 years and that's what God is delivering them from. 
It's also to display for them in a way that really cannot be taught any other way the personal cost of sacrifice, the the gravity of the penalty of sin. See, in those four days, living in that house, making sure that they're taking care of it, those little children in that house have found time to name him, haven't they? He has become the family pet in just a few days. And what does it say on the 14th? They're going to take that lamb and slaughter it. You can just imagine what those children, the protests that came from them. But this little lamb is their substitute. Jesus is our substitute. Old Testament or New Testament, either one. The wages of sin is still death. There's still a penalty that is required. And it requires a spotless, one-year-old boy lamb. Paul said this. Paul said, for he, that's the Father, made him, that's Christ, who knew no sin. He's the spotless lamb. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He's the substitutionary lamb, isn't he? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. I mentioned to you what Peter wrote about Jesus, but listen to this in its context. Peter writes this, he says, Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. You were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He's our substitute. Thirdly, it has to be a slain lamb. A slain lamb. There in verse number 6 we see it. Then the whole congregation or the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. Take that little lamb home and then they're going to slaughter it right there. I don't know about you. I, you know, I, I get pictures in my head as I read through these things. And you know, I picture them killing this little lamb and then you know, impaling him on a spit and, and, uh, and, and, and putting that there and then cranking him over an open fire. There's a man by the name of David Schiller who's a leader of a messianic congregation in Texas. He said that they killed these lambs, or when they killed the lambs, in order to roast them, and we'll see that before we get through tonight, that they were done upright. That a pomegranate pole Pomegranate because of royalty, pomegranate because it wouldn't burn. Was That's what he was impaled on. And then a crossbar put across his shoulders. I'm starting to get a different picture now. In verse number 9 mentions, this is gross, but it mentions his entrails. David Schiller said, in order to roast this lamb evenly all the way around, they would pull out the entrails of that sheep and wrap them around his head, which makes me think of a crown of thorns. I have a different picture of what it might look like. But they're to slay this lamb, and they're to roast this lamb. And notice in verse number 6, it says that that all is to happen at twilight. Now when I think of twilight, I think of kind of probably like it is out there now. You know, the sun's kind of gone down, but it's still, still light enough outside. 
For the Bible to say twilight, and especially in this context, we're talking about three o'clock in the afternoon. That's what they would refer to as twilight. That means then that in homes all over Jerusalem, on that 14th day, they would take that Passover lamb at about three o'clock and slit his throat and drain the blood down into a basin before they got ready to roast it. It's about that very same time of day. And one spot just outside of Jerusalem where the Son of God is hung on something like a pomegranate pole with a crossbar with a crown of thorns on his head and he's slaughtered at the very same time that they're slaughtering those sheep elsewhere. It reminds me of this. Jot this verse down. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, isn't that good? For indeed, Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. That's what Paul says about him. You know what John says about him? John says in his vision that he sees in the book of the Revelation, he sees a slain lamb. He sees a lamb that's standing right there before him. And he says it is a lamb as though it had been slain. And then John, not only seeing that, he can hear with his ears the raptured church singing what he called a new song. And they sang, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And then he says all of these angels joined in. And others began to join in. And he said, I numbered them and they were like 10,000 times 10,000, thousands upon thousands. And in unity they say with one another, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That's Jesus. The Lamb is a picture of our Lord. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim concludes his Holy Week message entitled, Pictures in the Passover. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is church office at BritDavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.